and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with CJ Grace. She's an author. You can see her two books behind you. We're going to talk a little bit about her new one today. She's also a former BBC journalist. How are you doing today? I'm fine. It's great to be on your show. Thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little bit about, maybe give us a little of your backstory. How did you go from being a BBC journalist to uh, a writer, author? Well, what happened was that in many ways, I was living a charmed life. I had my dream job with the BBC. I was interviewing celebrities and politicians and people who were making their mark on the world. And then I got a transfer to work for China Radio International in Beijing. And uh, there I had a sort of fairy tale falling in love with an American guy. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to our 25th wedding anniversary. We spent it in Hawaii. It was our best wedding anniversary ever. And little mm-hmm. did I know that just two years later, both my health and my marriage would be in tatters because my husband was openly carrying on an affair with a woman half his age whom he refused to give up. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. And so that was a real double whammy that that left me reeling because I found out I have one of those BRCA genes that makes me more susceptible to breast cancer. So um, one of the outlets, along with humor, because I was brought up on a diet of Monty Python, and that's that's my background, um, was writing. And I went back to my journalist roots and I started writing and writing and the just stuff just came out. I didn't choose to write. It just wrote itself. Really, <laughs> uh, I, I hear that a lot from writers. Yeah, it's a uh... It's interesting. Until you sit down and it, it happens, it, you can't really understand it. That that process of it just writing itself, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. It just, uh, I had not intended to write a second book. The first book mm-hmm. I wrote, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Play or Not, was about the, the whole infidelity journey. And somebody said, oh, yes, you need to do a course for people going through this. I said, oh, no, I don't want to be a counselor. And well, then write more about it. No, no, I'm done. I'm done. But then I got breast cancer and the stuff came out of me like daily diarrhea, really. I just had to write (laughs) all the stuff that that I found. And the absurdity of a lot of it, too, because seeing everything with this sort of Python-esque eye, Mm -hmm. I, I saw the absurdity in my situation and I had to write about it with humor as well as with some um, you know, hard hitting facts. Totally. So you have said that that you there's often a connection between infidelity and breast cancer. I I have never heard that yes. before. That's astounding. So could you talk a little about that? Yeah, it's going both ways, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, for infidelity is a major form of stress. You have the bereavement aspect because it's like the death of a relationship. You potentially can be forced to move out of your home because of the breakup of the relationship. And if you get a divorce, 
usually that's a financial hit because if you're splitting up your assets, you know, 50%, if you get 50% is always less than 100%. And yeah. so it's a major, major cause of disease and cancer. There have been numerous studies about it. And I had come across a lot of women in the interviews I had with people for my books, but the research I did, women who um, after infidelity ended up with breast cancer. Um, it, it just seems to happen that way. And then it goes the other way around too. Um, so that when women are seriously ill, men are more likely to bail or at least have affairs because mm -hmm. their partners aren't up for it. And if they ain't getting fed at home, they're going to go for a takeout. Uh, sadly, that's just the way it is. And uh, there is a very definitive study that was done by um, a guy by the name of Michael Glantz. I think it was the um, Barrow Institute in Phoenix. They did a, a study in, two, in the early 2000s and then a follow-up. And they found a huge gender discrepancy in partner abandonment when that partner was seriously ill. Um, up to 12 times more likely for a man to bail rather than a woman when that woman had systemic cancer than if it was the other way around. Mm. So, so sadly, that does seem to be a big thing. And nobody else, as far as I know, has been writing about that connection and about how to deal with breast cancer when you are on your own without a fully supportive partner. You know, I had to be my own advocate, basically. That was just the way it was. Right. <laughs> yeah. What was that journey like? Um, you know, I had to embrace my um, inner anal BBC journalist and uh, do a lot of research. I mean, my mantra for cancer was information is power. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of research. I did both conventional and alternative treatments. And I didn't always do exactly what the doctors advised. I would always do my research. And, and there were a number of things that I did differently, uh, you know, cancer's a crapshoot and I'm not a doctor, so I wouldn't want to recommend how somebody should be treating their cancer. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things I turned down was um, mastectomies. And many people thought I was nuts to do that. But um, I was very concerned about breast implant illness. I'd seen, a, and I'd seen and read a lot about that because mm -hmm. breast implant illness is very real. Nicole mm -hmm. Deruda's um, Healing Breast Implant Illness Facebook support group has over 170,000 members right now. So, so it's a real thing. And, and, and many women are now choosing to go flat after mastectomies to avoid breast reconstruction and all the problems that that could bring. But I didn't even think that I needed mastectomies. I, I went for lumpectomies both times I had cancer. Breast cancer I had once on the left side and once on the right side. And both times I had a lumpectomy rather than um, mastectomies. And as I say, that's a controversial view, but I'm mm. really glad that I did it. I mean, who knows? Maybe my grave will read, here lies CJ Grace because she refused to lop off her boobs. But I'm still very happy that I made that decision. <laughs> that <was fun. laughs> sure. No, uh, yeah. I mean, if you don't need to, for sure. What were some of the alternative treatments that you did? Um, I did, um, one of the treatments I did was IV ozone, which I found very helpful. I mm -hmm. did that while I was undergoing chemo. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I had very few side effects from the chemotherapy. I also negotiated with my oncologist and I, um, went for a less toxic chemo cocktail than what she originally envisaged. I substituted, uh, 
I didn't go for the adriamycin, which is a very toxic chemical that is not good for your heart at all. And I went for carboplatin instead. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that was more suitable for my triple negative cancer. But, you know, IV ozone was very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so much so that when I went um, for my radiology appointment, while I was still undergoing chemo to plan the radiation therapy, my radiologist looked at me and she said, you're looking far too healthy to be doing chemotherapy. Are you sure you're not doing something that's negating the effects of the chemo? I didn't mention what I was doing. I didn't want to get into that debate with her, but you know, clearly the chemo was going through my system because I'd lost all my hair. So, um, mm. but I, compared to the other women in my group having chemo at the same time, right. I mean, I looked better. I felt better. It was, it was a major, um, it was major. And there are lots of different types of IV ozone equipment. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different practitioners. It's a controversial thing, but I happen to feel that if you go to uh, somebody who knows what they're doing and you've got somebody with a track record, it is an extremely valuable um, alternative mm -hmm. therapy for a number of different conditions. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, oxygen is kind of the life force. So, yeah. And oftentimes disease is when, you know, the oxygen is not present. So, yeah, that the disease spreads or grows. Yeah. So, for sure. What are some of the main takeaways you want people to get? So, from so, yeah, I mean, there seems to be a delay. Um, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm getting um, a notification. Mm -hmm. that your bandwidth network bandwidth is low i don't exactly know normally uh, you know it's something happening on my end but what I, what what i'm seeing is it says um that your network bandwidth is low today if for some reason it starts to yeah. fail we can always reschedule i don't know whether okay. uh, yeah yeah well, but I, you're, you're freezing every so often um but i will say i had a notification mm -hmm. on my um text that uh, that my internet provider might be having a problem and I should call them up, but I haven't had any issues with that. And I already did another podcast earlier today. So, okay. Um, I, All I right. Well, yeah. we'll keep so, going. And if, if we run into a big snafu, then we'll restart. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was yes. just asking, what are some of the main takeaways you, you would like people to get from your books? I would like them to realize that information is power. Um, mm -hmm. to do their research, to not take everything as gospel. That's number one um, that they hear from doctors and certainly not from all their friends because you will be besieged with unsolicited advice when you have cancer. That's <laughs> the very first cartoon in my book is about, um, <laughs> it's funny, I don't know whether it's going to show up, but uh, friendly advice. I don't know whether you can see that cartoon. This uh -huh. was the stuff. I was hearing, you know, my hippy dippy friends would tell me, oh, because they knew I was doing chemo and radiation. They'd say, oh, chemo and radiation is toxic and doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And right. then my more straight-faced friends would tell me, because they knew I was doing quite a bit of alternative therapy, they would tell me, oh, alternative medicine is pure quackery. And then, of course, I got the, the person who was telling me that I'm not going to, I'll let them remain anonymous to protect their identity. But the, the person who said, oh, well, you got cancer because you're too tense. If you don't relax, you'll just get cancer again, you know, and somebody shouting at you, telling you to relax. Oh, yeah, that, that's going to make you very relaxed, relaxed. isn't it? Yeah. 
yes, yes, everybody feels relaxed when they're when they're being when they're being at screamed at. Yeah, and then of course. <laughs> And you get the food Nazi saying, well, if you don't give up dairy, your cancer will come back. And of course, I'm a Brit. I've got to have milk in my tea. I'm not going to have some fake oaty or the soy milk in my tea. So, oh, no. so I didn't listen to half of that stuff. You know, and, and, and you can't keep a positive attitude all the time. That's, that's impossible. You should never make somebody feel bad about yeah. feeling bad. Of course. Because, you know, life happens. Yeah. And so, you know... I tried to keep a positive attitude, but I found the most effective way of doing that was humor and comedy. You know, mm-hmm. even though I was a, a BBC journalist, I gave up watching the news because it's all bad oh. news. Depressing. I just watched comedies. Um, so, and, and stuff that was uplifting. Uh, so, so there, those were the, the things that, that I did. Oh, and one big thing that I did was mm-hmm. I threw away my bra. Because, yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, that. One of the books, Yes. One of them was what? One of them was called, I read a lot of books as part of my research for this, uh, for Mm -hmm. My Wild Ride, How to Thrive After Breast Cancer and Infidelity. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ones that really resonated with me was called Dressed to Kill. Brilliant title. Dressed to Kill between (laughs) Breast Cancer and Bras. And in it, the authors present compelling evidence that the link between bras and breast cancer is actually stronger than that between smoking and lung cancer. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadly, the authors thought they were going to be welcomed with open arms by the mainstream cancer community. <laughs> right. and of course, that didn't happen. Instead, the mainstream cancer community points to just one study that was done in 2014 that shows no link. But that study had no control group so that would be like studying the link between smoking and cancer without uh, having anybody in the group that wasn't a smoker. No wow. control group. And uh, also they only looked at postmenopausal women in whom the effects of wearing a bra were much weaker. Um, but there have been a number of studies out there that have shown the longer you wear the bra, the tighter the bra is, the more likely you are to have cancer have breast cancer it's a very it seems to be a very strong link so that wow. would be a big throw away your bra you know I never burned <laughs> my bra in the oh, I was too young to think about that um I wasn't even wearing a bra uh, at that point but um now I you know I very rarely wear a bra sometimes Ooh. if I absolutely have to for a business meeting or whatever not no nope but no so yep. Is that all bras or is it specifically the underwires or what is it about bras? That- uh, it's all bras. Underwires are actually worse because you get the additional problem of the wire Middle. attracting uh, EMF and dirty electricity. Um, and it seems like that's a bit woo-woo, but there was a very bizarre story that happened in my family that brought that into stark relief okay so let me tell you this story it's yeah kind of tell me okay so my young youngest son um way back when he was about eight years old mm-hmm. was fitted with headgear for his orthodontic work to wear at night this wire that goes around your jaw that you sure. wear at night first night he wears it he is he, he tells me in the morning he was terrified he hardly got any sleep he's convinced there's a monster in the closet. Okay, <laughs> right. had nightmares when he was sleeping and he couldn't sleep. So 
we had this EMF meter and I'd seen on the shows that when you have, you know, um, psychic uh, stuff going on, you can sometimes have a globe of EMF that's unexplained in the middle mm -hmm. of a room. So we went and checked out his closet. His closet was fine, no problem. But we found this really strong line of um, very strong EMF, straight line going directly along his bed uh, um, from the ceiling. Okay. And what was even weirder was it was only visible. You could only find that on the meter when his brother next door had turned on his computer. So there was something in that electric line in the ceiling that was creating dirty electricity. And so when my younger son was asleep, his brain felt that disturbance, but interpreted that as some kind of monster. Wow. But it was the effect of the EMF field from that line right by his bed that was obviously, um, you know, emitting dirty electricity. So that to me shows you here is proof that dirty electricity will get transmitted, will be um, picked up by um, metal wires. So if you're wearing a metal wire underneath your breasts, well, whatever dirty electricity you are coming across in your environment is going to be picked up by that wire. So it's even worse if you have underwire, but uh -huh. it's still not good if you don't, because what it's doing is um, constricting lymph flow, you know, um, toxins, waste products, collecting fatty tissue. When mm -hmm. we women have fatty tissue in our breasts mm -hmm. and normally the lymphatic system will flush it out and it's very sensitive to constriction, the lymph flow. So if you're constricting it for hours and hours and hours a day, and some people even sleep in their bras, you know, then you're not allowing those waste products and toxins to be flushed out. And that's the, um, that's the hypothesis that the authors of uh, Dress to Kill um, outline, but it has been borne out by studies, by a number of studies that have been done. Wow. Wow. So it's a, it's a kind of funny to think like the, that that might've been one of the things the sixties movement got right. <laughs> You're familiar with the whole, uh, oh, like yeah, yeah. Raw burning. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I remember that. But you know, as I said, I didn't, that was, I was too young to be doing it at that time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Now, yeah, now I'm, uh, yes, I'm throwing away my bras. Of course, it's a little difficult. If you're very heavily endowed, then you might need it sometimes, but you want to yeah. have it well fitted, not tight, and definitely don't wear it at night. Do not. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Why would you wear it at night? Wear them at night. Yeah. People do. Idea. Yeah, that's odd. Um, but so what would you recommend for women who, I mean, certainly during sports, certainly somebody who may be interested in reducing their bra usage, but not completely getting rid of them? What, what would you say the better alternatives might be? Well, you know, it, it's really to do with having something that's well fitted and mm -hmm. minimizing okay. the amount of constriction. Constriction. Okay. I, I still remember my mom, who was very heavily endowed, and her her shoulders would be sort of like welts from wow. the from the straps. Sure. And then you know you could see the marks when she took it off around underneath her arms. And I mean the, oh. the lymph nodes are there. You really do not want to constrict under your arms. Right. Uh, and they were having these very much lift up and push together type bras in sure. those days. They also had those girdles as well, which 
were also not healthy, you know. Right. Uh, you know, because it's similar to the the idea men who wear very very tight jeans can right. have problems. Yes. So, uh, potentially, that's that's also. I mean, it's that. It, there are, again, some controversial views on that, but it does seem as if um, very tight jeans can cause problems for men too. So, sure. so tight clothing is not, not great. And you've also got those lymph glands in your, um, you know, in the what's called the inguinal, inguinal cut there down right. way. So uh, it, that's not good either. So, yeah, I mean, loose clothing is not as sexy, <laughs> but it's actually more healthy for you to wear that, especially at night. You know, yeah, well, definitely at night for sure. But yeah, that that's really interesting. So what what were some of the things when you were going through your journey because I think the cancer industry in general has it's been very interesting to me because I think it's been a little bit of a cover for a lot of things, right? Like what I've often seen is they'll do research in the name of curing cancer, but the Cancer problem seems to be increasing, not decreasing. So what are your thoughts on some of that? And what, what did you come across? As yeah. You were- yeah, I mean, the problem is that um, if you have a non-patentable cure for cancer, it mm-hmm. isn't a moneymaker. And right. there are people who've come up with, with, the, with, the, with non-patentable cures to cancer. And, you know, basically sometimes you're shut down faster than if you had a meth lab in your basement, basically. Um, there's right. an incredibly poignant documentary called Cut, Poison, Burn um, about uh, pediatric brain cancer, which illustrates the point very, very clearly, mm-hmm. um, where um, a doctor came out with a product that was pretty non-toxic as a cure for brain cancer, if a okay. pediatric brain cancer, and it worked very effectively. Um, but as soon as he became known, and it got shut down. Um, cancer is wow. big business. Um, and sadly, um, you know, I'd, I'd just come up with a quote, never let people's welfare stand in the way of a good profit. <laughs> you know? Wow. <laughs> to say, I mean, there are some great things in conventional medicine. I did all of the cut poison burn stuff myself. I had... Um, radiation chemo and I also had the surgery beforehand so I did all of that but I also did alternative therapy and I think it's a shame mm-hmm. that those two modalities are not integrated I lived in China mm-hmm. for a couple of years when I worked for um, China Radio International and they very effectively combined traditional Chinese medicine with conventional medicine I um, think they also don't want to be spending bucket loads on on stuff either so they are quite happy to combine the two if if they'll use what works right. um so, so i think that's a shame it's a shame that they are that there's such a schism in the west between alternative and conventional treatment because both have their really good points and both of them have really bad points and i have to say as a cancer patient i was seen as a cash cow sometimes by both sides uh, and so sure. I, I i came across examples of both conventional and alternative medicine that seemed like they were sort of quackery to me mm-hmm. um, so it, it's it's it, it that's one of the things you have to be very very aware and um do your research and whenever you choose to do a treatment try to to found people who've done the same thing and had good results that's really all you can do yeah, I, I so agree with you on, I think that, you know, we should be able to integrate the best of both 
and they they are so polarized here in the West. And I I've definitely I mean I whatever you can do naturally I think is great because the likelihood of harm is lower. Not it's not zero, but it's lower uh, when you're working with uh, less invasive kinds of treatments. And but yeah, there definitely are some where it's yeah. like the flat out quackery, you know, and it's a and it can be hard to discern. It really can. Because there are some things that seem like complete quackery that actually really work, you know, and then there are other things that really are just quackery, you know, so. Right. yeah, and, and I think yeah, that the, the placebo effect is very strong. Absolutely. Um, uh, that was one of the issues with um, antidepressants, because it seems as if the, there's quite a few studies that seem to show, not industry funded, of course, but there's right, quite right. a few studies that seem to show that placebos work as well as antidepressants. Absolutely. So the yeah. placebo effect is is important. Your state of mind is important. So um, my view is if you feel happier wearing a tin hat and you're also doing the conventional treatment, even if the tin hat is rubbish, it mm -hmm. makes you feel good, wear the tin hat. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm all for the tin hat. <laughs> Although I don't think tin foil has been used since World War II, but yeah. Still the, the, the tin hat, the aluminum foil hat, right? Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on I, the cancer industry like as a cover for things? Have you seen that? I, I think one of the most, uh, you know, kind of glaringly uh, pronounced ones right now, uh, or at least appearing, the appearance of such would be, you know, they did on the recent injections, they they did the studies. Moderna was doing all those studies in 2017, supposedly to cure cancer. So like, that's just one example. And I, so far I've seen nothing come forth about using that technology yeah. to cure cancer. I've seen no success with that, but now they've rolled it out for a very, very different purpose. But I see a lot of that, you know, I'm, I'm not blanking on other examples, but like, that's just one. And it's a very, you know, it's kind of a recent, very, uh, prominent one you know well some people might say that you know cancer is such a profitable industry do they really want to have a cure to cancer because they would lose so much money if cancer was cured right. and there are alternative folks out there some are claiming that their their particular modalities are having a very good effect on mm -hmm. on cancer there are a number of clinics in mexico for example that 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 apparently are very successful and i know I have personal experience of, of folks I know that have gone to these places and had good results. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the treatments they offer in those uh, places are not permitted in the U.S. So, um, yeah, it's a very fraught uh, situation because um, there are a number of things that are researched on um, that, that, that aren't that helpful. And then when you go into the reading of those results and how um, industry-funded studies um, mm. are getting the results that they want. Um, there's a very good book that uh, I do quote it in my, uh, in my wild ride, How to Thrive After Breast Cancer and Infidelity. Um, and it's called Doctoring Data by Malcolm Kendricks, who's a, he's a fellow Brit. He's got a wonderfully sarcastic um, a sense of humor and way of writing. But what he talks about is how um, often industry-funded studies may make a relative mountain out of an absolute molehill. 
and they will distort the figures so that, um, just to give you a very basic example of how that could be done, if you have a thousand people in the control group mm -hmm. and a thousand people in the, the study testing drug A to do mm -hmm. B, you know, to right. cure illness. So in the control group, one person recovers from, from that disease, but mm -hmm. in the group where they're using the drug, two people um, recover from the disease. So you've got um, one out of a thousand versus two out of a thousand. Relatively, that is a hundred percent increase in efficiency of that mm. drug. If you use the drug in a relative way, right. the relative figure says you will be a hundred percent more likely to recover because a hundred percent more people got better mm. on a relative scale. Mm. But you'd have to have thousand people taking that drug in an absolute uh, on the absolute level to get one more pe person recovering from that disease and often you'll see that relative values this is just one of many tricks that are out mm -hmm. there to make yeah. the data look like yeah. they want it right. um, there's another example i can give you going back to this breast implant illness issue yeah uh, bre breast implant illness um as I said, is a very real problem. And one study that just came out, uh, funded by aesthetic surgeons, was so bogus and so bad that it was good in a Monty Python kind of way. <laughs> it really was. Because what it did was it looked at women who were having um, breast implants for cosmetic reasons. Uh, during the pandemic, actually, was when they took the, these results. Okay. Um, and uh, had them fill out questionnaires to try and work out how neurotic they were. Mm -hmm. And the results of the study were that, you know, breast implant illness, the women who complain about breast implant illness are more likely to be neurotic. Mm. There you go. So neurotic, neuroticism is a big factor in breast implant illness. Come this, on. That was just so bad that it was good. I mean, this, it, it was just rub it was a rubbish study, but it came out with a fanfare. Yeah, they they always uh, point to women's neuroticism throughout history whenever they want to discredit something. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean this goes really back hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> we have a real yeah. problem. We'll just blame so it that, on women yeah. being neurotic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That seems that's to be right. the yeah. that's right. Uh, that seems but it was a gift. I found that a gift, actually. That when I read that study, it was for me as a humorist writer. Right. It was a gift because it was just ridiculous. It was so it was so ridiculous that it was funny. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What What are they saying about breast implant illness? Like, is it uh, very recoverable? Is it? Do uh, if you take breast implants out? Which yeah. With an explant operation, right. then um, often symptoms start to go away fairly um fairly fast um one of the poster children of breast implant illness who's become a spokesperson for the for you know the problems of of, of breast implants is crystal hefner who was hugh hefner's widow and she obviously had them for cosmetic reasons but she was feeling exceedingly unwell for um quite some time before she finally had them removed and mm. the lady who um, set up the breast implant illness 
uh, and Healing Facebook group, which, as I said, has over 170,000 members today. Wow. Um, she was bedridden, I believe, for six years before she realized what was going on and got rid of the implants and then started to feel normal. And I wow. know this from experience with a couple of with, with some friends of mine. I luckily avoided that. I didn't want to have a mastectomy. Right. Um, but uh, so, um, the people that have and, and a lot of folks did and a lot of people are still doing it out of fear, especially from the Angelina Jolie effect when she had the BRCA gene profile that she made very public and made it very sure. public that she was undergoing lactic mastectomies. And that, to my mind, I thought that that led to a lot of unnecessary additional surgery that women had out of fear. I mean, some people uh, would disagree with me on that, um, but that's just my personal view. Sure. Um, one of the problems with the BRCA gene that they didn't bring out at that time is that you also have a very uh, high, a much higher uh, risk of ovarian cancer. And Angelina Jolie did talk about her mom having breast cancer, but her mom died of ovarian cancer. And once that's discovered, it's usually too late to do anything about it. So I did have my ovaries removed, I, the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. For some reason, that operation is called an oophorectomy. God knows why. But, you know, my sister decided to go the whole hog and have her, a full hysterectomy. I didn't want to do that. I felt that that was too much and that uh, you can have side effects from taking sure. everything out because the um, uterus does hold everything in place. And I had again, heard of people who'd had pain and problems after, after a hysterectomy. So my view was always less is more, but I did feel that that ovarian cancer risk of the BRCA gene profile was definitely something worth um, paying attention to. Wow. Did you investigate any kind of uh, like prophylactic type of measures that women can take? Um, well, obviously there are things like diet, and mm -hmm. exercise and yeah. bras as we've talked about right right um, we, uh, and you know one of the sections in my book I talk about all the things that cause cancer and the fact mm -hmm. is practically everything causes cancer in our modern mm -hmm. environment yeah um, I worry about that avoid everything that there is but highly processed food is is really bad and um you know the uh what is it called alpha linoic Omega-6 acid, yeah. Yeah. Um, so th those aren't, I'm probably mispronouncing the name of that um, that fat, uh, but omega-6, not good yeah. for you. And, and the, that is very common in, in processed food that they claim is vegan. So, you know, processed food, if something's vegan, if it's heavily processed, it's still not good for you, <laughs> whether it's vegan or not. That's my view. Um, yeah. So but I... Um, I think that there's also an idea of having moderation in all things. Mm -hmm. If you get completely anal and you go totally in one direction and you don't have, uh, you can't do that. You've got to live in the world and, and mm -hmm. uh, make decisions for a, as healthy a lifestyle as you can manage given your circumstances. Yes, diet and exercise, I think, is key. Um, yeah. And you know, trying to live in a less polluted environment. Um, yeah is is also a, a good idea but um you can't get away from one of the major factors of um cancer which is getting older the older you get the more likely you are to have cancer mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to stop clock and go back in time <laughs> you know and sometimes <laughs> it's just random and 
the thing is, you know, we've all heard these stories of somebody who has a terrible lifestyle. They smoke a lot. They drink like a fish. They've taken tons of recreational drugs. And there they are in their 90s and they're as fit as fiddles, you know. And yet somebody else who's had a really healthy lifestyle, they keel over, you know, in their 50s. Who knows? You just yeah. don't know when your time is up. So no. Then there's truth in that for sure. And we we all know those examples. Or like, wait, that's not fair. <laughs> but yeah. It does seem like no, it's getting no, life is fair though. Yeah. It does seem like it's getting harder and harder to avoid uh toxins, you know, like uh, we have a decent sense of how to avoid oh, certain yeah. foods that you know, the processed foods, but uh the environmental, the you know, even the clothes and yeah, everywhere it seems like they're kind of bombarding us. Our water. Oh yeah, and the water is very—it's very key, I think, to have a water filter. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not—I don't drink sodas, those kinds of things. I, I just don't have an awful lot of processed food. Yeah. And I remember somebody told me they sat next to a—I a, a, think he was an executive for a chemical company in a first class in a airline and 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 they said to this guy oh what, what what would you give me what advice would you give me that that I wouldn't know about and the guy said when you buy new clothes always wash them before you wear them and and because what was it? stuff in there to make them look great and spot for the shop you know for the mm-hmm. store not want that next to your body you want to wash the clothes first and then wear them wow yeah, I think that's something people don't really think about. That's great advice, yeah. though. Yeah, so yeah. he's talking about, like, chemicals that they spray it with or treat it with in yes. order to keep it looking. Yes, yes. On, that's on the right. Shelf. That's what, yeah. So uh, I, I, you just don't know what, what, what products are sprayed on things. I mean, even with non-organic food and all of that, it, you are better off having organic, it's always more expensive and there are some areas where it's impossible to find a lot of organic stuff, but um, the cleaner your, it's like the garbage in garbage out type of um, philosophy, the cleaner, what you put in your body, the cleaner that is, the the better your result is likely to be. Sure. For sure. So tell me what was your experience working at the BBC like? Well, I was there back in the early 80s, and it mm-hmm. was a very different experience to mm-hmm. the way things are now. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Yes. Um, and it was much, there was much more diversity of views were tolerated than these mm-hmm. days. Um, I remember, and this is, I remember getting into trouble with my news editor because I, chose not to do an interview with somebody whose views I disagreed with. Hmm. And I really got hauled over the coals about that. Wow. Uh, how can you do that? Why should you say that your view is the most important view out there? How can you, why should you censor this person because you disagree with their views? If you disagree with their views, then you have another interview with somebody who can present the opposite side. Mm-hmm. I got really hauled over the cold. You wow. do not refuse to interview because you don't agree with their views. Mm-hmm. These days, story you have the standard mainstream view, and then you have what is called currently misinformation. 
Um, <laughs> and whether you're, agree, whatever you agree with, you know, mm-hmm. whether you agree with that mainstream view or not, right, right. the opposite view needs to have a voice because of you need course. to have, without a debate, you don't have true journalism. No. And what people forget is that um, when you're talking about censorship and freedom of speech, Right. You don't really need much protection for popular views. No. You know, the, the main popular view doesn't really need that protection. No. It's the outlaw, it's yeah. the less popular that do need protection. Yeah. And whether those people are right or wrong who have those views, it is a useful exercise to have them have their say. And I, for example, in my own work, I've read plenty of material that I strongly disagree with because I want to get that view and understand it. I mean, probably the most extreme example of that, of a book that I strongly disapprove of, but I thought it was a real education to read, especially having lived in China during the 1980s, um, was um, Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. Mm, Of course, I disagree with stuff in there, but it's an education to read that, to understand exactly where they are coming from and so to just shut out views because you disagree with them as I tried to do with that one interview that I got into trouble over over refusing to to, to mm-hmm. actually record um, it, it's a slippery slope because um it, it's a slippery slope in effect towards totalitarianism you've got to have all the views they're debating I mean if so long as people aren't saying you, you need to be, you know, murdering children and, 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 you know, sacrificing their blood or something like, obviously you're not going to have those people have a, give, give those people a platform, but, right. you know, standard views, you know, you've got the pro and you've got the con, you've got to have that mm-hmm. debate. That's yeah. what journalism used to be all about. Yeah. Um, so I find it um, a, a definitely worrisome that we do not have that kind of debate, debate, right now freely on the platforms that in my day when I was a journalist used to have those debates but we've we've come into this horrible polarization um, Mm -hmm. that I think is 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 definitely not good for the human race Uh, I don't remember another time where you know just because of what you voted you're not friends with somebody else uh, you know, I, I have plenty of people who vote Demo- Democrat who are close friends. I have plenty of people who vote Republican who are close friends. Why is it that now we have the schism? Um, there was the same problem with Brexit, you know, broke up relationships, families, um, friendships. Why? You've got a different view on a political issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's to be able to debate that and get along with our differences. That polarization is... Uh, very, very toxic, whichever side of the fence you're on. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. And I, it does feel like, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's more, uh, if the it's more extreme these days or it just feels that way. It's hard for me to say. But I think there are other times where more people extreme. probably felt like it was very, definitely. more, you think more so than any other time in history? It's definitely more so. For, for a so-called... Um, West free Western country. I mean, having lived in China, mm-hmm. way worse than China. There's, and my 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 dad was involved with stuff to do with the Soviet Union in the days of the Soviet Union. You know, for all our yeah. complaints about what, what the, the state of affairs here in in the United States and in England and Europe and all that, compared to living in um, China or living in the Soviet Union, 
it's like a walk in the park um, in terms of the freedom and the censorship and all of that. But that's not to say we don't have plenty of that going on, but it's just not quite on the same scale. And of course, the um, surveillance. Um, there is that going on too, but it's way worse in places like China. The the surveillance. Oh yeah, I I think the the concern. Yeah, yeah, surveillance. Yeah, I think the concern though is that we don't want to get there, <laughs> so we we need to stand yeah, up absolutely. now. Absolutely. We yeah. Um, people. So that's the problem. And the, and the other issue is that so many of us are self censoring because you know of the repercussions. It's very tough for doctors, for example, and um, people like that to really talk about uh, what they believe in because they can lose their licenses, their livelihoods. And, you know, sometimes these folks even end up in, in jail, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very serious. Very. very serious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you read uh, Mao's uh, red book, so you, you know all about the struggle sessions. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's auto critique. Yeah, and it's funny. Say yeah, that again? but I mean, there's there's stuff in there that sounds very laudable. There is mm -hmm. stuff in that book in the in Mao's little red book that sounds very laudable. Not that mm -hmm. he kept to any of those things. I mean, yeah. about how you treat people and, oh, and yeah. going for the truth and not having one person taking over and being more than anybody else. Hmm, I wonder if Mao Zedong was doing that. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of inconsistency in there. Some stuff that that is that, as I said, is is laudable. But it also does give the justification for these struggle sessions against people and these horrible intellectuals who are, um, you know, destroying the revolution and all of that. You know, it, it, it's as I said, I think it's it's very valuable to look mm -hmm. at both sides of any argument, even if you strongly disagree with the other side. Sure, it gives it is an education, and it yeah. actually gives you ammunition to have a better idea of, of how to debate that person and and uh, uh, destroy their argument if you want to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I always say when you uh, when you engage with somebody who has a, a different uh, point of view, then you either you either if you're an open minded person, you may find areas where you learn that you were wrong or you will become more confirmed in your own argument and you will be better able, better able and better equipped to make a more cogent argument defending your belief. So, right. And, yeah. And sadly, I there isn't really a place for a middle view these days, you know, for new, I think nuance is so important, having yeah. a middle view, understanding that, oh yeah, this thing that they're doing on this side is, is, is really good, that other thing that they're doing is not so good, and then on the other right. side, oh, I agree with this bit of it, but I don't agree with that bit of it, you mm -hmm. know, why do you have to be 150% mm -hmm. only on one side, you know, that you, you want to take the good points from both sides, and then you, right. you come up with something that really is even better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's because people don't look at information anymore. They just look at sources. So it's all about like glorifying or vilifying the source itself instead of looking at the information that's being brought uh, forth. Yeah, you're talking about personality. It, it basically, so you don't like what somebody says, let's destroy their personality. Right. Um, or even the, the entity. So like, you know, maybe a particular publication, you don't like that publication. So everything they put forth, it has to be, you know, false or... Right, right. And I think that if you strongly disagree with something, you should take a look at it because that gives you more ammunition to um, to debate it and convince others of your view. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's that seems to be the that, that used to be what we did um, in journalism. But it, yeah. it, uh, back in the Stone Age, because I'm ancient. 
um, but <laughs> doesn't seem to be the case now. <laughs> so what what are you seeing from the? When did you move from the UK here? I, I, you said it already, uh, but it, well, mm-hmm. I left. I was working for the BBC in the eighties, and right. then I moved to China. I worked for China Radio International as a journalist advisor. And when I met my husband to be there, we um, we ended up moving to the United States. So that would have been um, in the late eighties that we moved over okay. moved back to the U.S. Well, it wasn't back for me; it was to okay. the U.S. It was back from him because that was where he came from. But um, so uh, yeah, and having lived and worked on three continents, it certainly gives me a, a different view. Yeah, never left the United States. Absolutely. Appreciate um, nuance and different, uh, you know, different ideas and different philosophy. Totally. Uh, have you been to uh, the UK or China recently? Um, well, I've been to the UK um, and uh, China. I went back in, I, I haven't been back for a long time. I went back in 2010 for the 70th anniversary of China Radio International and had a blast. They They sort of celebrated me as a heroine which I probably didn't didn't deserve and people said oh I learned English listening to your program back in the Uh, 80s that was it it was great but um and very different from the China I'd uh lived in uh because it was um way more commercial everything was available that hadn't been there when I was living there when I was there it was a sea of bicycles everybody dressed in the same blue uh uniforms in effect um very very different um and they'd only just come out of fairly recently come out of having the Soviet Union as their main ally to having, you know, to being more uh, interested in having rapprochement with the with the West. Uh, but but then when I went back in 2010, it was really sort of almost like a mix between capitalism and communism in terms of the the businesses, the stores and all of that. It was still politically communist, but in terms of what was available it was it was way more capitalist and um uh it was interesting to see that to see that difference sure. um, but i haven't been back since and i was at one point i was thinking of going back when my marriage collapsed i thought oh, maybe i should go back and work for china radio international have a real change i'm actually quite pleased because uh what they went through with covid was pretty unpleasant um, what happened in Shanghai, where people were sort of pretty much locked up in their homes with a dealing with what was basically not much worse than flu uh, by that time, the Omicron. Um, and it's a, you know, and the surveillance. And um, I'm hearing that people have to spend most of their income there on, on testing because they're required to test so many times a week. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's not, not great. And Xi Jinping, my view is that he, is not good for China. When he got rid of term limits, that was a very dark day for the country. I was there when Deng Xiaoping was the uh, um, premier, and he was very good for China, put in so many reforms, um, a lot of big changes that were very positive, um, many of which Xi Jinping is uh, busy rolling back, sadly. Uh And have you... so? you went back for the uh the radio station that you were working yes, with yes. yeah so radio international they had their, their 70th anniversary wow they, how so, have they oh sorry yeah how i'm sorry what were you going to say oh i was going to say how have they changed 
uh, like so when you had first started working with them, they said it was the 80s and then you went back in 2010. I imagine now there would be even more changes, but did um, you see? Yeah, they were expanding and they've, mm. they're very, very good at what they call soft power. Okay. Uh, yeah, which is um, getting, so they expanded this, the number of stations, they expanded the languages they were broadcasting in. At the same time, for example, the BBC World Service was reducing their um, broadcast and reducing the number of languages they broadcast in, you know, stupid because they don't, re they don't realize what a brilliant propaganda tool um, a world service like that is. Um, sure. so the, yeah, the Chinese were very, very good at that. And, and um, I remember, you know, my son was, did a year abroad in Beijing um, at um, Dashui, which was the premier social science university. And uh, one of his pro professors, when they were talking about um, uh, propaganda and all of that, and he said, "Well, you know, the only reason why the, the West is so so angry with China about Tibet is, well, we just our propaganda wasn't good enough." Wow. And when you think about it, because they believe that, well, America, you know, America was was much just as bad or worse to the to the uh, to the Native American people. Wow. And I mean, in a way, that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, the the when when they when, when the settlers came into America, they decimated mm -hmm. the population and they killed all the live the food supply as as much as they could to try and starve them to death. And then they they shoved them in in reservations and then they had treaties with them that they didn't keep. So I mean, there is there is some element of of, of truth in that. Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't that's not the whole story but yes there is yeah, yeah but there is elements of truth the yeah. fact is that the way that the chinese have treated the tibetans and the uyghur people is sort of you know in the yeah. concentrate genuine concentration camps that they have um where these people are incarcerated and they they really want to it, there's there's a lot of cultural genocide going on there um no no doubt and we don't hear much about it um no we don't uh, so, so yeah, so there's a, there is a lot of, of, of that going on, but uh, what people don't realize is, is how strong the control um, that China has. And when they say, take ownership of organs of the press in other countries, they control what comes out from those um, periodicals and news stations and whatever, because they, they want stuff to come out that paints China in a good light. And so they don't want people covering the Hong Kong democracy movement and all of this kind of stuff. So, so, uh, and, and because it's coming from a so-called Western news source, people don't realize that maybe it's, it's owned by the Chinese government or through a series of shells, you know, it, right. it's owned by China. And that's, that is definitely happening in the United States and in Europe. Um, it's just people are, unaware of that um the china is very very good with it they're very as i said with their soft power they really know what they're doing they're very good at it wow i i think that's something people here probably aren't as aware of absolutely not yeah so <laughs> <laughs> so I, i'm just thinking every part... does it every country does it there's no doubt sure. um but 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 china is very good at doing it they're very right good. I, I'm just thinking it re requires a lot of discernment because I think they probably put out under the guise of it being things that we would want to hear. 
and they're but they have a an underhanded kind of an agenda in releasing yeah. you know whatever information it is that they release and then yeah you know peppering it with with other things yeah. And I mean, there are good and bad things about China. I mean, I had, a, a, I, as I said, I lived there for two two years, more than two years working for um, China Radio International, and it was an education. It was a different view of the, of the media. Yeah. yeah. I, I can, what would you say the biggest difference is between uh, the media there, uh, the BBC, and our American media? Well, I'm not sure about how it is now, but... Um, mm-hmm there was a, a way more control about what would be able to go out and it was also it, everything took much longer to do mm-hmm. uh, now they i think they are much more slick with their presentation and all of that um mm-hmm. and it's it, it was interesting because when i was there they really didn't give that much of a damn about foreign news they were very much dealing with domestic affairs so the foreign news they would just take off the Reuters rip and read sometimes which is pretty amazing they definitely didn't do that um in the Soviet Union for Radio Mm. Moscow but they did for Radio Beijing when I was working there because eh, it didn't matter you know and and they if it was the third world nations they might make that a bit more important than than Mm -hmm. would but the, it was the domestic news that was heavily censored. Now, of course, it's probably different. Right. Uh, it's changed. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, the, the media is a very different animal to the way it was when I was there, uh, mainly sure. because um, there are particular views that you're expected to follow, particular protocols, particular... Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, it, it's it, it, you you have some outliers um mm-hmm. but it's generally you have the one view and you'll see lockstep from one news outlet to another to another mm-hmm. to another that the even the the wordage is identical mm-hmm. oh yeah bizarre the same the same um script um across the board oh yeah now modern journalism is basically just like backlinks so it's like they repost right. the same exact thing over and over to give it the, the links so they get more oh, views. obviously they couldn't do that in the 1980s and 90s no. because uh you know and even early 2000s because the internet wasn't as developed. right um but uh now it's and I, I think maybe people don't realize how lockstep everything is um but it does mean that you have fewer organizations really controlling um the narrative which is um a concern because diversity of views is necessary for democracy you've got to have that diversity even if you don't agree with them just like you want diversity of ethnicity you want diversity of views yeah i'd argue that diversity of views and thought is probably uh paramount right right yeah And, and the trouble is um what we get nowadays is things like trial by tweet so yeah. that somebody posing one I've view, never heard that. That's great. Trial by tweet. You know, you, you've said something and it doesn't matter that it's taken out of context or that it actually is true under a certain circumstance um, or that um, somebody has done wonderful things beforehand. They can be completely unplatformed from one view, one thing that they say. And that that's sort of... I've been there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's kind of kind of ridiculous i mean as i said 
if you're out there saying you you promote murder and eating children and that kind of yeah sure we don't want those people on the air but you know if you have a different political view come on if, if i mean mine wasn't even and they they just didn't care i mean this is how arbitrary it is they told me that it was misinformation they said specifically covid misinformation but i was talking about polio <laughs> not like even the same stratosphere oh yeah polio yeah and yeah. Uh, I, I appealed and I said that. I said, uh, I wasn't talking about COVID. I was talking about polio. And it's very clear I was talking about polio. Yeah. And they, they didn't Truth care. What? No Truth is no defense. Of course not. Apparently, yeah. The truth doesn't matter at all. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they decided they wanted me gone. And just, yes. so they, they yeah. did away with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm... My subject is slightly off that because I'm I'm just dealing with breast cancer and infidelity, yeah. but I, I do see that all the time, and 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 oh. it is it is concerning to me, especially coming from a um, Holocaust background. You know, my um my parents escaped the Holocaust, and one of the last um, articles I posted on uh, I was writing for Thrive Global. They now have got rid of all their contributors because they don't they're worried about misinformation and stuff like that. But I did get an article on there. Um, that was called um, Perilous Polarization, the Us versus Them Trap. And um, the featured image I chose for that was the Arbeit macht frei gate to Auschwitz, because I thought that really explains everything in one image. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, and another one that, 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 I, that I did um, post on um, Thrive Global was, what was it called? It was A Brief History of Dogma Masquerading as Science, um, because I wanted to have a history of all of these people who'd had very sound scientific views and who were shut out of the process. Um, one notable example was a, a man called Semmelweis. I don't know if you've heard of him. Semmelweis was a doctor who, um, he was an obstetrician. And in those days, in the late 1800s, loads of women died in childbirth. And he found that if he washed and disinfected his hands in between deliveries, yeah. he wasn't passing on infection from one to the other, you know? And, and he had a way lower death rate of women when he washed his hands in between deliveries. So he, right. his fellow doctors, and they were really insulted. How dare he tell them what they should do? Why should they have to wash their hands in between patients? That's rubbish, you know. And they ended up having this poor guy committed to a mental institution. I've, I've heard this, yeah. Um, and, all, and it took 50 years for his idea of disinfecting your hands in between delivering babies so that you wouldn't be passing infection from one woman to the next. Right. 50 years for that to become standard practice after he had first said that that was necessary. So, so all the way throughout history, we've had examples of um, scientific theories that are very valid that have been shut down because they don't conform to the current viewpoint. Absolutely. So it's, it's a shame. Same with sort of smoking and lung cancer. That was, uh, that was uh, uh, poo-pooed for a very long time. Before right. So, yeah, no, it was. Yeah. So, yeah. So your topics are breast cancer and infidelity. I'm curious what your advice to women who are dealing with infidelity is. I think it's 
I think it's increasingly oh, more yeah. common. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so. actually, if you go to my website, cjauthor.com, mm. um, I have two free PDFs that you can download. Mm-hmm. One of them is about uh, overcoming infidelity, awesome. how tame the roller coaster of negative emotions. So, mm-hmm. you know, tools to tame the roller coaster of negative emotions. So you can um, find out how to download that. I've also got one that is um, about breast cancer, uh, 10 tips to stay sane after a breast cancer diagnosis. And I do have six different things. I w- developed this sort of six part plan mm-hmm. to get over the emotional issues of, because uh, it really throws you into an emotional downward spiral going through stuff like that. Um, and so there were six things that I did, which I do write about in more detail in my books. Sure. Adulterous Wife, um, I write about that in detail and on my website, it's there. But um, just in brief, you know, cultivate confidants and mentors with your best interests at heart. Very important. Mm. Uh, rebuild your circle of friends. You may find that most of your friends are actually people that were friends of your husband or partners. You want to have your own friends. I was letting go of most of my friends pre-marriage and I just rekindled all those friendships again. You have to have your own circle of of friendships. A friend isn't the same as a mentor because you can vent your deepest, darkest secrets to a mentor and also expect them to be confidential. So you want people Mm -hmm. like that as well as just regular friends. And then love your body and become beautiful. I, I mean, by that, I don't mean I became a supermodel. That's never going to happen. Um, but, you know, things like diet, exercise, sleeping enough, looking after and loving your body, that that really helps you yeah. get any kind of adversity because it's easy to just let yourself go and not care. No, care about yourself, care about your body. Mm. Um, and then another really important one, which I touched on earlier, was laughter therapy. You know, I, I stopped mm-hmm. watching the news. I um, wanted to have things that made me laugh. Laughter is definitely the best medicine. There are even studies out there. I was going to say, yeah, there are. You know, um, and, you know, um, find your passion if you can. And that doesn't mean you have to give up your day job and, and expect to make a living playing um, the flute or something. That's not necessarily going to happen. But, you know, you've got to have something that makes your heart sing and makes you want to get up in the morning. So it could be music. It could be art. It could be, you know, volunteering for a cause you really believe in. All kinds of things. For me, it was writing. That was my that made my heart sing. Um, and so you, you need to find your passion. That's necessary. And it's got to be independent of another person. It's not, you, you don't want to have another person necessary to make you feel whole. You want to feel complete in yourself. And the last thing I did, which is always a work in progress and very, and actually kind of challenging, and that's living in the present because the past mm. is gone, doesn't exist anymore. The future is fiction. It doesn't exist. All you can do is worry about it. All you have is now. So you might as well enjoy it. So living in the now is a really good way to um, to make your life successful. So, yeah. So those were the six things, and I go into more detail in, in my books about those things. But um, those were the six things I did to get over the emotional roller coaster. I had to do it again when I got the cancer because I did it when I went through the infidelity, and then I started to have to feel lousy again when I had breast cancer because that makes you feel like shit. Sorry, but it does. Yeah, um, no, I can imagine. Yeah, the, so I went through that same same routine again, and 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 uh, used used those tools to make me feel up rather than down. Um, yeah. But as I said, if if 
um, your viewers go to cjauthor.com, you'll find um, tools there um, for both infidelity and breast cancer. Lots of wonderful. Research. Yeah, I love that. So people can empower themselves and take some ownership because, yeah, I think you. I think one of the things oh, you yeah. feel kind of helpless, right? Yeah, yeah, there's always hope. There's always hope. Um, you know, however lousy you feel, there's always hope. You just put one foot in front of the other and time and um, effort and you'll get through it. And it's funny because adversity is often a catalyst to make your life better than it was before. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm testament to that. Um, and so are you because you went through a hell of a lot. You know, <laughs> um, if life is sort of, eh, it's okay, medium, you just... <laughs> Story. you just poddle along you don't really do very much you don't you don't improve you don't try and be the best that you can be because everything's okay but when yeah. it's not okay it's a catalyst you've yeah. got a you've got a kick in the pants to sort of make things count and especially with cancer because you know it, it it teaches you life is short if not now when right that it's very true yeah yeah, I, I love that. I and I, I agree. When things when there's a challenge, it's it's an opportunity for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the biggest successes you hear about are they they came from some sort of either hardship or tragedy or yeah. 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 So that's great. That's beautiful. And I love that you turned your passion into something that can help other people. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean if if what I say about breast cancer stops one woman from getting the disease, it's worth it. For sure, for sure. Or and I wish we're, I'm sorry. Yeah, or it helps them get, get over the disease faster and recover more quickly and it helps them have a better mental attitude. Definitely worth it. For sure. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I wish more people had that attitude because I think a lot of people are looking for, you know, to cast the wide net, which is great, you know, if you can. But, you know, casting a wide net doesn't always have as powerful an impact but if you have like a real impact on one person and you really change a life that's that's really profound so. yeah yeah I mean and there's a wonderful quote that I heard that the Dalai Lama mentions and he says anybody who thinks that that they're too small to make a difference okay. has shared a bed with a mosquito oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the first thing I did when I moved to the south was buy a bug, bug vacuum <laughs> So yeah, so that, that one resonates for me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I've actually used it. I, I think we kind of joked about it when I first bought it, but I was like, oh, it's kind of like bringing an umbrella. You know, it's not going to rain when you bring the umbrella, but I know I've used this bug vacuum. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Now we can all make a difference. Nobody is too small to make a difference. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been wonderful. Do you have, if you have anything else you want to add, please do. And uh, of course, tell everybody where they can find you and get your books. Yeah. Well, my books are available on Amazon, both as eBooks and as paperbacks. Mm -hmm. The latest one is a comedy, candid, self-help memoir, and it's called My Wild Ride, How to Thrive After Breast Cancer and Infidelity. It has cartoons, but it also has an extensive bibliography. So lots of information in there, but the aim is also to make you laugh. <laughs> um, and then my sec my, that was my second book. My first book is Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not 
And that one also is a self-help book with cartoons and a lot of very useful advice. So those two books are really helpful. And both of them are designed to make you laugh and give you a lot of useful information. But um, if you want to find out more about me, you can just go to my website, cjauthor.com, cjauthor.com. And it is as in author as in somebody who writes rather than author who, who has the round table. Sometimes people misunderstand that. But anyway, cjauthor.com. Maybe I have to sell it, say it more with an American accent and people will get it. But um, <laughs> I, I have uh, those free PDFs accessible if you visit um, visit the site and also resources for breast cancer, skin care um, advice and um, a lot of blogs and a lot of information and book lists and all of that. They're all on my uh, website. Um, I even have an infidelity advice um, column that I that I wrote. So a lot of different things. Just go to cjauthor.com and, and you'll find out um, all of those things. So that's it. That's awesome. So in your uh, book, Adulterer's Wife, you, you said whether you stay or not. Yeah. You go through both. Yes, because um, there are people who do stay and it's much easier to stay if your partner is willing to give up the other woman. But there are even people who stay when that doesn't happen. Uh, it's a common story for wives of celebrities, for instance. Because they, you know, they don't want to really give up the lifestyle, and they, they they'd rather have half a loaf than than no loaf at all. Let's say, um, but yeah, uh, there are a lot of people who stay, and and as I said, sometimes if you stay and the, your partner has given up the the other woman or the other man, then you can actually work at making your relationship better than it was before. And I know people who've done that. Um, mm -hmm. But it takes it does take some work, and it takes the, one partner has to be very willing to forgive, and the other partner has to be very willing to, um, in some ways, atone and 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 work at, at, at basically showing the love that their partner that their partner the love that uh, he or she deserves. So um, yeah, it can be done. But in my case. Since my partner wasn't willing to leave the lady, he, um, the young lady he had his final affair with, um, mm -hmm. I was separated for a while and then we, we got divorced. Um, it wasn't. He, he offered me actually a part-time wife position. <laughs> and, I, and, and I actually thought about it for a while. I'd be perfectly happy spending two or three days a week with you and the rest of the week with her. Two or three days a week with her and the rest of the week with, with you is actually what he said. And, and um, I, uh, I actually thought about it for a while because I didn't want my whole life to collapse. But sure. when I was uh, sitting in, a, you know, in the chemotherapy um, facility having an IV and he was in Europe with his girlfriend, you know, at the same time, that didn't quite sit right. So, so it was pretty obvious that a part-time wife position was not going to be a good choice for me. <laughs> but, but you know, um, it was just, and it was, as I said, it was an education. In some ways, maybe I needed to go through this stuff to be able to write this material that is very mm -hmm. helpful. And the way I am, I feel now is that I have no regrets. I don't regret any of it because regret is not about the past. It's about the present. And if you're happy where you are right now, you don't have a regret. You don't regret the past because it brought you right through to where yeah. you are right now. I so. think about that a lot. Yeah. That's a, cause I, I always have this thought of, well, not always, but I've had this thought about things that I would do differently 
But then I think about, oh, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. So, you know, it, it's always it like the the saying that if you if you knew then what you know now, what you, would you do think differently? And I, I think definitely if I knew what I know now, then there, there are definitely things I would have made different choices on, but I probably wouldn't be. All of us would, but a lot of it yeah. is learning and maturity mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I look at the way I was when I was 15 years old, for instance. I was terrible, just horrible self <laughs> person. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you definitely, I, I don't imagine you were really horrible then, but you don't seem horrible now, so definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's funny though, about the part-time I, I went out with a guy, I went on a date with a guy this years and years ago, but you know, polyamory was like becoming very popular. And, uh, he told me, he said, I have a number one. And I mean, I was so confused. I wasn't very familiar with this whole polyamory thing. You know, now it's much more popular, but this was, this was a while ago. And I, I was, it was news to me. So yeah, I I was not aware of what he was like, well, I already have a number one, but you could be my number two. And I was like, uh, (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) And he made it sound like, you know, this was like a great opportunity. And I'm like, so I get to be your number two and I'm supposed to be like jumping for joy. I think I'm going to (laughs) pass. This doesn't sound great to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, he said it was like with a total straight face, like this was just a wonderful thing he was offering me, you know. Well, I have number one, but you can be my number two, you know. And <laughs> I, I was supposed to be ecstatic about this. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I think I'm not the girl for this. So, yeah. I would go with your your take on that situation. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, no, no judgment on those it works for, but it was very baffling to me. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, like, you're saying I'm going to be second fiddle and I'm supposed to be really excited about this. I don't know. <laughs> like, what am I missing? I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and uh, we'll definitely go check out your books and to your website again, CJ Grace, author. No, no, cjauthor.com. cjauthor.com. As in somebody who writes books, cjauthor.com. Yes. Um, I have other websites that point to the same place, but cjauthor.com seems to be the easiest one to spell. So that's the one. I okay. <laughs> cjauthor.com. All right. Awesome. cjauthor.com. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Google CJ Grace and infidelity, breast cancer. You'll find me anyway. So right. Like a lot of stuff. So there you okay. go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being on your program. Thank you so much. Likewise. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.